You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello, welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we'll have analysis of Ezekiel Elliott appealing a six-game suspension. We'll break down the Eagles with Howard Eskin from the Eagles Radio Network and chat with Jeff Criswell, the former NFL offensive lineman. And Brian, we're going to start off today's podcast by going around the league with former NFL head coach and now NFL Network analyst Steve Mariucci. Coach, we appreciate the time. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. Uh, did you enjoy your summer? Uh, here we go. This fall is right here, isn't it? And Can't we, wait. we just enjoyed a quick trip to West Virginia. We were at the Greenbrier the last two days checking out the joint practices between the Texans and the Patriots. So, Steve, how do you see Houston's quarterback situation? Deshaun Watson really pushing Tom Savage. Well, you know, I was watching that game the other day, his first, his first outing, and, and I knew – Deshaun Watson, okay? He was an Under Armour All-American a few years, coming out of high school. It's a game that Herm Edwards and I coach. He was one of those guys. And then that took an interest in him, of course, and then setting him for the draft. But I, he played better in the first game that I thought he was going to play. I was very, very impressed as to how he played. It wasn't just about the stats, but he, he checked it down when he should. He got out of the pocket and, and you know, he threw the ball away when he should. He he escaped. He checked. He was in the huddle. He was under center. He did all the things that, you know, we want these young quarterbacks to do that uh, play a little bit in the spread when they're in college. He did everything well. I was so impressed with him. I, I, I In fact, I tweeted out. I said, you know what? He's going to have a hard time keeping this guy down because he is going to be a franchise quarterback in this league at some point. Now, Tom Savage is a guy that's got it right now. And I think he, too, is a good quarterback. You know, he knows what's going on a little bit better. They have a good pitching staff uh, with Brandon Whedon, too. I, 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 I think this is a heck of a team. And you know what, guys? For any of these quarterbacks to play with the number one defense in the league, right? The number one defense in the league. Plus, now you add a J.J. Watt healthy. Uh, that's comforting to know. You're never going to be too far behind. Coach, when you speak about quarterbacks, obviously you, you know them best. Uh, you had a chance to be with Brett Favre, and you saw the maturation process with him in Green Bay. Uh, but when you look at players like the Joe Flacco's of the world, the Andy Dalton's of the world, those I like to call Joe Flacco a middle tier. Even though he got a Super Bowl ring, I still consider him as a not an elite quarterback, but he's right on the bottom end of that, at the top end of the middle tier, because ever since that defense left, which was a very good defense with Ray Lewis and, and Ed Reed, had a phenomenal running game with, with Ray Rice in the backfield, ever since then he's somewhat been a 500 quarterback. What's been the issues you've seen so far with Joe Flacco and his inability to be as consistent as he once was? You know, they, they, they pride themselves, Cordell, on being a great defense. That's just kind of how they do things over there. In fact, 15 out of the last 18 seasons, they've been in the top 10. They were in the top 10 last year. And then what? Here's you know what happens. You sign a quarterback to a huge contract, and it happens to everybody. When your when your quarterback is goes from his rookie contract, which is which is not much in, in today's day and age, to his big twenty million dollar a year contract or twenty plus million, you go short in other areas. And he since the in the last four seasons really is thirty one and thirty three. And it's because he's playing with, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not as 
much talent around him as he was when he was on his first contract. That's just the economics of it. When you pay a quarterback that much money, you have to go short in some areas. It's unfortunate that Joe has got that back injury that he suffered, I guess, in the weight room. They don't talk about exactly how, but, boy, do they need him desperately because they're a team that's got a chance. They've lost so many close games. 26 out of 32 games have been decided by in the last possession. Can you believe that? And so, you know, wow. they, you know they, they've won some of them, but they've lost most of them. they got to know how to finish. But uh, Joe Flacco's got to get healthy, that's for sure. Chatting with Steve Mariucci from NFL Network. So it's the Ravens-Dolphins tonight. Let's move over to the Miami perspective. Steve, Jay Cutler joking he doesn't have to be in great shape because he's a quarterback. How smooth <laughs> do you think this transition is going to be, considering Cutler played well for Adam Gase in Chicago two years ago? <laughs> he did. I'm really going to watch this game hard because it's it's so interesting here. You know, he was going to be in the booth. He was going to be meeting. He's going to be one of us, right, guys? And I wonder if he said, uh, boy, this is going to require a heck of a lot of more work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense if he's going to come back to the league to come back with an Adam Gase. Um, now Ryan Tannehill's out, I mean, with surgery. And, and you know what, guys? Adam Gase and Jay Cutler were good together. They were pretty darn good together. They know each other well from a play-calling standpoint, from a system standpoint. Jay had some pretty darn good success with the Bears in 15, and and he was playing with a banged-up football team and had one of his better years, 92 passer rating. But um, and, and I think he's on a better team, at least on offense, uh, than he was with the Bears. So, And then if you look at their schedule, too, he's got a chance to start I don't know, five and two. I mean, it's it's favorable in the first half, first part of their schedule. They got a chance to win and get get started on the right foot. I'm anxious to see how he plays them tonight. He probably has to protect them a little bit with play call, meaning I can't put this guy back seven steps very often because if he gets hurt, we're really screwed, right? And and uh, well, you got Matt Moore, but uh, you know you don't you don't spend ten million dollars plus some change with incentives uh, if if you're not intending to use the guy all year. So it's going to be fun to see how he starts, but I think he's going to be good in this offense. You mentioned getting started off on the right foot. The Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, in some, he's in some hot. He's in a hot mess of a situation. Um, that's not getting started off on the right foot uh, with this Dallas Cowboys team that that played very good last year. Uh, have one of the tougher schedules in the National Football League. Starting off with a team that swept them last year in the Giants. Um, how do you see this unfolding for them considering they do, they still do have backs by committee that can maybe help this team actually continue to play some good football? People of running backs, as we would say, and Darren McFadden, you know, has been in the league a long time. He's got to stay healthy. Alfred Morris has been in the league. He's had some really good seasons and good games. He added Ronnie Hillman, the kid from over here at San Diego State. He's an Aztec. So they do have enough guys to get by through the preseason and maybe the first six games, if that's what it ends up. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the uh, Cowboys, what a, what a season they had last year, right? With the, right. With the two rookies and the entire team going, you know, 12 or 13 and three. And, and they were, they were terrific. I don't know if they're going to be 13 and three this year. I think the giants, you mentioned, heck the giants have beaten them three in a row. Right. And I think that division's up for grabs. I think Philadelphia is going to be better as well. And so I, 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 after losing a couple of offensive linemen and losing a lot of their secondary, I got a feeling Dallas might take a, a little step back. They're still a heck of a team. They got a lot of good coaches and players left, but I'm not I'm not so sure if they're going to be as dominating as they were a year ago. They were fifth on offense and 
fifth on scoring offense and fifth on scoring defense for crying out loud last year. That's hard to do. Steve, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Okay, guys, thanks for having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Baseball fans, MLB at the Plate has the second half of the season covered like nobody else. With a push toward the postseason, now upon us, listen live as a co-host and myself bring you the biggest moments of the night as they happen with live listen-ins from around Major League Baseball. Right, driving one in the air, deep left field, it's got a chance, gone. Plus, between pitches, we'll go beyond the diamond with interviews, guest appearances, and analysis on the biggest news in baseball. Catch MLB at the Plate, live weeknights from 7 to midnight Eastern, only on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. As Ezekiel Elliott appeals his six-game suspension, the rhetoric is heating up between the Players Association and the league. My former colleague at NFL Network, Albert Breer, now works for Peter King, and he got a very... Good conversation lined up with the executive director of the NFLPA, Demora Smith. Let's start with Smith delivering a strong message about the relationship between the league, the NFLPA, and who might be telling the truth and who could be prevaricating on a big word Thursday. If there is no renegotiation of the collective bargaining agreement and we reach 2021, um, there is no unkept year, right? Mm -hmm. Because last year, the last time we went through it, we found out that the owners lied and cheated about the unkept year. So why would I do that again? All of the mutual benefits that were supposed to happen as a result of the opt-out didn't happen last time. Owners colluded with each other, and we found out they colluded with each other. And all of the bad things that, that went to the players happened, and none of the bad things that went to the owners happened. So we have a new deal where... If it doesn't get fixed, you head into uh, a certain uh, small A Armageddon. Strong words. Armageddon in a labor context, courtesy of MMQB.com. Demora Smith also said to the rank and file for football fans, and this is several years in the future, but we're all hoping that there can be more labor peace. And the view of the executive director of the Players Association, get ready for a work stoppage after the 2020 season in the summer 2021. I think that the likelihood of either a strike or a lockout in 21 is almost a virtual certainty. Okay, Cordell, that's a long time away from now, but just in terms of how it works in professional sports, we've seen cooperation in basketball between their union and their commissioner, Adam Silver. Baseball had wars, but dating back to the cancellation of the World Series in 1994, things have gotten a lot friendlier in that sport. Are you surprised that it's that acrimonious? And this has nothing to do with Ezekiel Elliott. We're just talking about the basic relationship between the NFLPA and the league. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a... You know, sometimes you got to go along to get along sometimes. And, and, and when it's when it's not as close as it should be, it makes it really hard to create deals. And one thing we know for sure about the NBA, I mean, it's like kumbaya on that side of the world, isn't it? When it comes down to the players' union and also the league itself because they know the players drive the league. Well, the National Football League is not like that. It's all about the owners. The owners drive the league and the players are, you know, they can be replaced and they just next guy up. You know, that's the mentality. And, and, and so in order to, to get it to a place where it becomes more about the players, you know, there, there has to be a level of at least common ground at some point in time, not when it just benefits the players because 
I mean, excuse me, the owners, because there's too many great players in this game that that get ran off and, and never can continue to play uh, for obvious reasons, which are, you know, whether they don't come to terms with the deal or it's the deal may, however the case may be. And, and, and even in cases with Ezekiel Elliott or any other athlete, uh, when sometimes wrongly accused, sometimes rightfully accused, uh, you want to make sure you have both parties, one that benefits the, the league, which is the owners and also the players, to at least come to a common ground and not make it seem as if the guys are just out there for you know for the sake of being out there and they can't be themselves. So it's it's did he say Armageddon? What word do you Armageddon? Yes. That ain't good. <laughs> That's a thermonuclear word. That is huge. That is that is like pressing the button for real. Like we're about to have a problem here. Things are about to explode, implode, everything under the sun. But it's got to get better than that. And I think when it does, I, I think we'll know because the players will be happier, you know, and pay the guys what they what they deserve and what they should have, and and not cut them short because if it's not for the players, this game would be as good as it is. And then you carry it over to the fan base, you know, and. Um, that type of conversation can sometimes be reckless, and it won't it won't bring any good life. Uh, I think to a situation that should be one that's amicable between the owners as well as the players, the union as well as the league. And so, once it gets to that point, I think it'll get much better. Well, the question is because it's still only 2017. There's a lot of time to resolve what appears to be like a massive impasse. How much would the NFLPA be willing to fight? Roger Goodell in the league over discipline, Cordell, because if we're talking about the process for Ezekiel Elliott, if this was baseball, if this was basketball, the appeal goes to a third party. It goes to someone who's supposed to be neutral. Well, in this case, Roger Goodell's not involved with the appeal, but it's going to Harold Henderson, who's his designee. So the perception is it's really not that impartial. That Ezekiel Elliott, however you view these allegations, and I can't be more straightforward in saying that I would be open for a year-long suspension for your first offense when it comes to domestic violence. That's how strongly the issue here is. But my thought would be this, Cordell, whatever you think about Ezekiel Elliott or the allegations, there's a perception that the players don't get true due process because ultimately the appeal is going to wind up in front of Goodell or one of his designees. Well, when it comes to personal conduct issues, I mean, you got to handle those as such. I mean, I get that. You can't, you can't be out here running crazy in these streets and, and, and bringing a bad look to a league that is really being extremely fortunate in so many people's lives because, you know, there are guys who have done it the right way and stayed out of harm's way. Uh, and, and, and benefited from it. I mean, I was one of those players, and, and there's a lot of people that you know, uh, and even you're working with the league that's benefit from it, from this. Um, you, you, you know, you're a business entity, and uh, sometimes, you know, businesses, you know, I don't want to say belly up, but sometimes businesses go awry every once in a while. But in this instance, this is about the human being and how they conduct themselves. And so when you talk about personal conduct, you know, policies, I mean, come on, seriously. I mean, when it comes to your behavior, really? I mean, you're now living a life that is beyond your imagination. And to allow yourself to go so far to think you're bigger than the game in life, I mean, let's just put it in, in, in its proper context. Uh, you know, when we're only making peanuts in comparison to the real world. Just think about it. Uh, but yet at the same time, we've been fortunate enough to 
to be able to get that chance to be a part of that life and, and be able to live it the way we choose to in comparison to what we had once before. Uh, all of this, what the NFL actually took place. So it's just guys got to just, you know, they got to pick their pick their spots, so to speak. They have to, you know, understand what they should and shouldn't do and can and can't do. And if they never get to that point where they really allow themselves to, to dive into it that way, you know, it, you're going to be at the mercy of the league and everything else that's outside of your control because you're giving them all the control. Just... I mean, you can't, you can't, you, you got to have those policies in place. Some rules got to stay in place when it comes to the game. I mean, NBA has rules. It doesn't seem like much because these guys really take, you know, take it really personal. It looks like from afar, like they're really concerned about their brand in basketball, especially the marquee players. I mean, it's on, on, on an entirely different level with them. Uh, of course, the quarterbacks are the ones the majority of the time, but of course, football is a different monster. You know, it's all about, you know, get hit or be hit, whichever one you want to, whatever side you want to be on. And the NBA is more cool and laid back, you know, and reserved. But still, you still have to conduct yourself a certain way. And if you don't, you'll be dealt with accordingly. Sure. But let's say Adam Silver suspends a player for whatever reason. Player appeals because that's in the collective bargaining agreement. Adam Silver does not hear the appeal. It goes to a third party. So there's the perception that it is more fair if the players association has an issue with this cordell they should have negotiated harder the last time the cba was up and i know the answer what is saying, what you're saying have steel in if he's if he's making the rulings he needs to be in there with the judgment as well right well i'm saying that the old cliche is you don't want judge jury executioner to be the same person right so roger yes. goodell is entitled and and i just want to be steadfast here I think the league got it right. Now, I've not seen all of the evidence, but I'm going to trust the league. After Ray Rice, after Josh Brown, they had to be this severe. If the allegations are accurate, league spent thousands of dollars over a full year, 100 exhibits, and they interviewed a dozen witnesses. This, to me, sounds comprehensive. If these allegations are true, six games is the right number. I'd be, as I said, open to a longer suspension. But at that point, once there's an appeal process, I think a lot of players say, why is it going back through the league office in hockey, in basketball, and baseball? It goes to a third party, so it feels like it's more fair. But my counter is, well, that's all negotiated. So if it was important to the NFLPA, they should have fought harder at the negotiating table, and they didn't. And the answer as to why it didn't happen is, you guys, football players, have short careers. Just three years on average. That means 50% of fellas don't even make it to three years. And it's hard to see players supporting a strike like they did in 1987, given all the money on the table here in 2017. Yeah, and I agree with that. And then you that's why you don't see too many guys stepping too far out in some cases when you talk about the strike and the only the amount of years they get on an average and the money that they're getting and you know, know you're getting 3.5 million bucks and you're bringing home 350 something odd million bucks or more every other week. Um that that's a great feeling and, and to put that at jeopardy, not having commercials, marketing team is not you know, good at all. I mean, that's your source of income. And some guys are, are afraid to take that stance, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I mean, I understand it, you know, when it comes to strikes of some sort, whether it's, the, you know, 
Colin Kaepernick situation or strike against the league with some of the rulings that are in place, uh, whether it be wanting to get more guaranteed money, you know, however they would go about doing their strikes. Um, you know, some guys are, are, you know, you have to think some things through sometimes. And I think in, you know, in some instances, what you alluded to a moment ago is fair to say is when the average for football players are only three years and some not even getting max deals, they may be getting a you know, what, four or $500,000. Right, and three years is probably your first contract. Three years is some guys is their first contract and may be a total of $2.5 bucks. And you're asking this man to, to, to sacrifice what? And he's worrying about more his family and his life. You know, what he can do for his own to make a better life for his own. I mean, that, that stuff matters, man. And the monies are so big nowadays. Because the money back in the time in which they had to strike wasn't nowhere near like it is now. The comprehension of the type of money didn't exist. The owners wasn't making it, didn't have as much money as they have now back then. But at the same time, it was relative to their time. But nowadays, it's like, man, look, I, I you know, I, I'm with all this, man, but I don't know. I'm not sure. If we know we can for sure win in a couple weeks to where it's not taken away from paying my mortgage and you know, making sure my kids are good with private school and all that good stuff, sure, I'll take a chance. But if this thing carries over to two, three, four, five months and may not have a, an entire season of pay, who's going to pay my bills? You know, can we put a pot together of the top paid players in the game and you guys put in about three or four million of your own money and distribute that out throughout one team or maybe a few players? Maybe. But if I can't, you know, now I got to go get a, 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 a an interim job. <sighs> It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about, bro. And it's tough. That's why you hope the union can fight as hard as they can for you to help you. And it may cause you to have to strike. Uh, but that that's a tough one to swallow for some guys, man, because not everyone is as fortunate as the Tom Brady's and the Eli Mannings and the Cars, the Derek Cars, and, you know, the Shady McCoys and guys like that. And I know somebody say, man, you got to make a sacrifice somewhere. No, you make a sacrifice <laughs> and put yours in jeopardy and see how it feels. And I think sometimes that's why some guys are, are, are a little, I don't want to use the word timid. I just think they're very, they calculate their steps a little bit better uh, when it comes down to making decisions like that. And that's understandable because we're talking about real world issues and people yep. have bills to pay and families to take care of. And the final thought would be, if you think about what happened in 2011, that was a lockout. That was initiated by the owners and they prevailed because after 132 days in my Estimation: The Players Association realized that they weren't going to get any more concessions. And if this thing got deeper into summer, now we're getting closer to the regular season. And nobody, I think, in 2017 is willing to miss a game check. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. 
We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Will the Eagles go from worst to first and win the NFC East? Let's find out from Howard Eskin of the Eagles Radio Network. Howard, we appreciate you taking the time. What do you make of the club's recent moves, cutting Ryan Matthews after he got healthy enough to pass the physical and trading for quarterback Ronald Darby coming over from the Bills? Well, let's start with Ryan Matthews because that, that is pretty simple. As soon as he was healthy and you can't cut a player before he's healthy, uh, from the injuries uh, that were incurred during last season, it was uh, it was going to happen. There was no secret about that. Uh, the Eagles don't say that, but Ryan Matthews being cut was was totally, totally, totally expected. Uh, so that's so that is not a shock at all. I am not. I'm maybe a little surprised when you're talking about Jordan Matthews. Although when you look at this team now, and it's really completely opposite from the way it was last year. Last year they had they had hardly any uh, wide receivers other than Jordan Matthews. Now they do have a lot. They, uh, I'm okay with it because he, why am I, or, uh, Jordan Matthews only had one year left on his contract. He wasn't going to be re-signed, and they have a lot of wide receivers, and they need a cornerback. The only thing about that trade that was steep, and obviously Ron Darby is a good enough player that it's steep enough where you're going to have to give up something more than just a wide receiver. The Bills would not would not have made that trade without the third-round pick. So with that being the case, that was the key for the Bills. Now, they did want Matthews because obviously, as everybody saw, they traded uh, Sammy Watkins. But I, I'm from the Eagles' standpoint – he was a nice player. He was a really, really good guy in the locker room. A lot of teammates liked him, but in sports, you kind of got to move on. So I'm not, I'm not surprised because there will be other receivers that I would have taken over Jordan Matthews because of the future only being one more year. Howard, when you see the additions that you guys have already made with Alshon Jeffries and, and as well as Garrett Blunt, how much does it help out this offense considering that you had – a, a Darren Sproles, who was phenomenal. I mean, catching the ball and running out of the backfield. And Carson Wentz was, was also that piece of the puzzle that made some plays with his feet. Uh, give me your, 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 your true, honest assessment of what you see with this offense now in comparison to what it was last year. Well, I think this offense is going to be much better than it was last year. And they did put up a lot of points. But uh, people uh, tend to, to look past and forget Lane Johnson was suspended for 10 games. They were uh, five and one when Lane Johnson played, and then you can figure out the rest of the record because they only won seven games uh, in the entire season. So they only won two more games when he wasn't on that offensive line at right tackle. So their offensive line is better. Their wide receivers are better, and I can give you the five right now uh, that are going to be on the team: All Sean Jeffrey, Tory Smith who I, I know will have a better year than he had in San Francisco. They didn't even have a quarterback out there that could throw the ball. So you have Torrey Smith. Uh, then you have Nelson Aguilar, who really, this is his year. If he doesn't make it this year, he's gone. He was a former number one pick. He'll be in the slot where Jordan Matthews, he'll, he would have taken a lot of snaps away from Jordan Matthews. And then you have a, a second-year player who was on the practice squad last year, so technically I guess he's not a second-year player, Marcus Johnson, who they really like at wide receiver. And then you have a draft pick, Mac Hollins out of North Carolina, who really was a very good special teams player at North Carolina, but they like what they've seen in him as a wide receiver. So they are your five if you count five 
If you take it the next step, Bryce Treggs, who's really had a good camp and had a good game last week against Green Bay. So they have plenty of receivers. So their offense. Now, the question I have, Cordell, is with the running back, because LeGarrette Blunt will certainly be good and he'll give you uh, he'll, he'll give you tough yards. But I don't know what they have after that. That's a little bit of a it's starting. It's starting to become a question. You have Sproles, who's not going to carry the ball that much. But he'll be a mismatch problem when he comes out of the backfield or in the slot as a wide receiver. You've got a draft pick named Donnell Pumphrey and a pick from before who's been hurt a good part uh, of this camp in Wendell Smallwood. So I don't know what they're going to do or if they're going to be good enough. Now, a long shot to make the team is Corey Clement, the running back out of Wisconsin, who was an un- ended up being an undrafted player. He's got a shot to make the team. So that's my little question with offense. But I still have no questions. They will be better. Howard, I'm based in Southern California, so I saw Pumphrey play a lot at San Diego State last year. I know he's undersized, but you know what he did on the field. He had more yards than Ron Dane did at Wisconsin. He was sensational. Yeah, he, uh, he's obviously... He's a clone of Sproles, but nobody is Darren Sproles. So, but he's been okay. He's been hurt a little bit. He's been okay in camp. So I don't know that you can see him. Eventually, he could be a very, very valuable player for the Eagles. But he's a rookie, and he's not, he's not really there yet. So, and he's not a back that would be in the NFL – that you could say, all right, well, I'm going to give him 10 to 12 carries. I mean, how many guys can you give the, uh, the carries to? Uh, because what the Eagles will do with him, and I see, I've seen them do it in practice, they'll put Sproles and Pumphrey in the game at the same time, which is really a problem for the defense uh, in, in matchup situations. So that will be a value for him. But as a running back, I know Pumphrey is good in a lot of areas, but I still don't know that they have that – that go-to guy other than Blunt, and that's really more in in tough, short-yarded situations. But again, there's no question in my mind, this offense is going to be better. Let's talk about Chris Long. I mean, he's coming out of New England, and he's now with you guys, and he was a force, of course, when he was with the Rams. It's just unfortunate they couldn't win, but he played. He was very productive, and I thought he did a great job by committee and also was individually he was productive as well with the Patriots. What do you see him being able to do to help this defense out in Philly? Well, what Jim Schwartz likes to do on defense, and this is the way uh, I assume he's run a lot of his defenses, he likes to rotate people. So he will be part of the rotation. But the first-round pick is going to make that rotation even stronger. Uh, In camp, uh, Derek Barnett has really played well. His quickness, he had two sacks last week against Green Bay. Again, I know he's not playing against first-string players. And, and he had one where he absolutely smoked the quarterback on a screen pass. He got there so quick. Uh, he, he adds to the rotation. So Chris Long will be part, and that's what they like to do, to keep these guys fresh. But one thing that they have to do a much better job of this year is to get a pass rush. And if they don't get the pass rush, then they've got some issues. And I think uh, with the way it looks right now on their defensive line and with Chris Long as a part of it, they will do a good job uh, in getting a pass rush. And that's going to help the secondary, which was until the the Ron Darby uh, uh, acquisition from Buffalo, uh, the secondary was the safeties aren't a problem, but the corners were a little bit of an issue. 
Getting you set for the Bills and the Eagles tonight on TuneIn Premium. You can catch the call from the Eagles Radio Network. Howard Eskin, sideline reporter, also does great work as a dean of talk show host for WIP Radio in Philadelphia. Howard, we've got to talk about Carson Wentz. So beyond the stats, what were your biggest takeaways last year based on what I thought was a stellar rookie year when you consider you mentioned no Lane Johnson for 10 games and he didn't have any credible receivers? Uh, and his running game was a little bit hit and miss because Ryan Matthews was hurt, was, was seemed to be always hurt last year. I think Carson Wentz will take a step forward. It's always, I know, tougher in that second year. Uh, and I think that's what Dak Prescott's going to have, problem, obviously, with all the criminal, I mean, the issues they have in Dallas. Uh, it's just so that's going to be an issue for him in his second year. But Carson Wentz has more to use this year. He's He's a really really bright guy. He's got physical ability. There's no question about it. He's a good learner. And this is kind of a little thing, which, I mean, I notice on the sidelines a lot, and I don't know how many people look at this and uh, Cordell, you may notice it with people uh, being a quarterback. His body language is really good. When he makes a mistake, he's not Eli Manning ish where he's uh, shaking his head and moping. And I don't want to hear about the success of Eli Manning. I just, I don't like bad body language, and too many players have it. And if, if it's from a quarterback and your other players see it, I don't know that that sends a good message. If he makes a mistake or doesn't make a good throw, his body language is the same as when he makes a good play. And if it's an interception, he comes over to the sidelines and he starts getting ready for the next series. That's a big part of what I like. But he's a sharp guy. He's a hard worker. He's a bright guy. He's got physical ability. And I think he certainly will take a step forward. And that, that's a big part of, I think, of success of teams in general. It's just the body language. And when watching the New England Patriots, those guys' body language is always steadfast, it's steady, it never wavers uh, left or right uh, when it comes down to getting prepared to, to go to the next level. But when you talk about Ronald Darby, uh, tell me the jump that he's made on the depth chart uh, as a cornerback on this team that can help some of the things that Coach Schwartz want to do on the defensive side of the football. Well, they haven't actually laid out a depth chart, but he's starting tonight. So you don't even have to say, well, this is the depth chart. Actually, for preseason, I don't know if the Eagles actually put a, I guess the speed card tonight, when we see that, has to have a depth chart. But they never lock themselves into it. But uh, Ron Darby will start tonight. They obviously, in the, in the few practices that he's had since the trade, they like what they've seen. Uh, they like the fact that he's, he's a tough guy. Jim Schwartz likes a player, and the other, on the other side, Jalen Mills is only a second-leader player, and I think he's got to move, take a step forward. They like a guy who can who's not afraid to press cover. And uh, from what I've seen in the practice uh, and what uh, Ron Darby has said, he's not afraid uh, to press a guy in coverage, and Jim Schwartz like that, likes that. But Ronald, Ronald Darby is going to be the starter. Um, at the cornerback, at one of the cornerback spots for the Eagles. Uh, I don't care what the depth chart might say in preseason. He's a starter. Howard, got about two minutes left. You mentioned the situation in Dallas with whatever is going to happen to Ezekiel Elliott if the six-game suspension is upheld or if he takes the league to court. Giants don't have a great running back. I think Washington's going to take a massive step back. Are you projecting the Eagles to be a playoff team? Uh, I think they have a they have a shot to be a playoff team. You know, a lot of things happen. Their schedule's tough. They play three West Coast games, although uh, two of them they're going to stay out there between a Seattle and a Rams game. 
So, but it's still a lot. And then there's three straight games in that little, three straight road games in that stretch. The schedule can hurt them. I think they're a nine-win team, and I think nine might win the division. Remember, in the NFC East, the same team is not repeated for 12 straight years. The Dallas Cowboys have not had double-digit wins in back-to-back years since 2002. And obviously, they've lost some, some players on defense. They've lost a little bit on the offensive line. They lost a running back. And, I, I, and Zeke Elliott, I can't see him going to court. That's a legal issue, and that could open up the case where in Tom Brady's case, it was a rules violation, so there was nothing that any prosecutor has to reopen a case. If he goes to court, there's going to be evidence presented, and I think that would be a mistake, and I just don't think, me personally, they're going to go that route because it could open up a lot, a lot of problems for him. So I think in the end, he'll get his six games. That won't help the Cowboys, and they have other things they have to concern themselves with. So I don't think the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. Uh, the Redskins are going for their third straight winning season, which, which hasn't happened for 12 or 14 years to have three straight winning seasons. It, it, it's amazing how things just fluctuate in the NFC East. I think it's the Eagles and the Giants in that division. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Between game-winning drives and walk-off home runs, follow TuneIn Sports on social media and get the latest scoop on our great sports shows. From MLB at the plate to NFL No Huddle, be the first to know about upcoming interviews with some of the biggest stars in sports. Or check out behind-the-scenes coverage that you can't get anywhere else. Like us at TuneIn Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and keep up on all the latest news and happenings from around the world of sports. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go around the league with Jeff Criswell, the former NFL offensive lineman. Jeff, thanks for taking the time. Because you play for the Colts, let's start in Indy. How concerned should the team be that here we are in the middle of August and Andrew Luck is still on the physically unable to perform list coming back from the shoulder injury? Well, obviously, anytime you have a quarterback, uh, you know, your starting quarterback, especially the caliber of, of luck and how well he's done there. Um, it, it's definitely concerning for the team. Um, I think that they're, you know, the guys will pull together just at every, all these teams that have some issues at quarterback this year. Uh, they'll pull it together and there'll be some surprises. You never know who the backup, uh, how, how they're going to perform. Um, but sometimes some stars are made when they get their opportunity. And we saw that in Dallas last year. When you have players like the Andrew Lux of the world that actually comes in and you know he hadn't gotten any reps, uh, you know he's the player on the team that makes it work, how do you get the, the other guys on the team to really come together and get it done? Because it's easier said than done when knowing that you truly depend on this guy to be the guy to help you get in and out of situations. Well, I think, I think that uh, it all comes down to you know who are the leaders on the team on any team that are faced with the situation, and they usually have their team meetings. Uh, the captains pull the team together at various times, and they try to create team unity uh, around other things that uh, that they can be positive about. Again, you know it's hard to tell in training camp and, and preseason how things are going to work out when the regular season starts. Um, but it is difficult, and, and guys will have to rally around one another. And like I said, it's it, it's it's uncommon, but it's it, it can happen. You know, you look at Dallas situation uh, with Romo, um, and and people can rise to the occasion. And when they do, 
and they get their opportunity, um, good things can happen. And, and you know, you hope you be hopeful. You know, you got to be optimistic. I think that uh, you know everybody starts off zero zero uh, at the end, at the beginning of the year, and um, it's a, it's a long season. So hopefully they'll get luck back at some point and uh, be able to 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 play with him. But uh, the team will just have to rally, and they'll have to rely on the leaders of the team to do it. All about the notion of next man up, taking you around the league with Jeff Criswell. Jeff, you also played for the Jets. How do you view what's going on with that team? Is tanking too strong a word? Could we call it maybe just a massive rebuild? Because it certainly feels like it's going to be a long and challenging season. You know, again, you know, I played on a lot of long and challenging seasons with the New York Jets. But um, ironically enough, we had our Legends weekend there uh, a weekend ago, and we're able to go out and uh, really watch the team practice and, 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 and MetLife Stadium. And they have a very young team. There's no doubt about it. But I think they're solid in some of the core, core positions. Uh, I think their offensive line looked pretty good. Their defense is going to be good. Um, you know, they have a veteran quarterback, even though he's played a lot of years. Uh, but that could be to their benefit. And you, you never know. Uh, they start the year off with the Bills. And it'll be interesting to see how that unveils. I, I never write anybody out. I've seen, I've seen it too many years in the National Football League, uh, teams that were not supposed to be, uh, you know, make it to the end and, and even have a playoff shot end up either being upsetters in the league and winning some games they weren't supposed to and changing the tables for other teams that were supposed to, you know, be the world beaters. So, you know, there's some good things to look forward to. We'll see what happens as it unveils. I know their defense is looking to, uh, you know, for their, their rookie to step in and, and, uh, and be a playmaker for them right away. But uh, they do have a young team, and sometimes that brings some excitement. We'll see who the leaders pan out to be. And, and uh, you know, it's not, all, it's not all doom and despair. I, I really think that they, they, in that division, that they, they, they can win a couple games and, and, and start to build their team. Yeah, you talk about them winning a couple games. In that division, um, there may be a few teams that's fighting for that second spot to to win a couple games and maybe be the next team up to maybe be the wild card behind New England. I mean, let's just call it what it is. They're the cream, cream of the crop when it comes down to uh, that division. Uh, Miami's playing really good. Uh, the Jets, they're kind of in, 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 kinda in, in a tweener situation. You mentioned a few players on the defensive side like Jamal Adams. Who's a, who's going to be a big playmaker, and I bring I think bring the physicality to the table to help this team's identity, especially on the defensive side of the football. And you have Buffalo that you know they just they just try to find their way as many times as they can. Excuse me, as many times as they can. Uh, but when you look at the Jets, do you think they have a chance to to maybe shock more people uh, than most may think because they do have some pieces on that roster that can be pretty good. Well, again, I go from my own experience. When I played with the Jets, we unfortunately didn't win a lot of football games. In the seven years that I was there, um, there was a time when we were out of it by the eighth game. But then there were other times that we weren't picked to do anything, and and uh, we we did okay. And we, we, we beat some teams that that uh, we weren't supposed to beat. And that changes, like you said, the the, the natural thought is, to, is that New England's going to win that division. And then there's going to be a fight and a race for who might get a wild card and, um, from that division. And, and it, it, I'm not going to say it's the Jets, but I, I think that they, they're as solid as anybody else in there. I mean, my, you mentioned the Dolphins. 
now they have a quarterback problem too down there. They brought a guy out of retirement. You know, they're saying a lot of the same things now uh, that the Jets are saying about their team. And even though they, they were a pretty good team last season. Jeff, so, in our remaining moments, we were talking earlier about labor tension between the NFLPA and the league. You came into the league 1987, and obviously that was a league renowned for the work stoppage the year when we had that strike. Do you think modern players would be willing to miss game checks and actually have a sacrifice for the betterment of future players, or has big money in this era changed everything? Wow, good question. And unfortunately, you only have three minutes to chop it up, but I want to give you some time here. You know what? I I don't know how I would how I, how I would react with the money that guys are making now. To, to be very honest about it, um, God, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say about it. I, I think that there's something to be said about unity and and but also guys have to feed their families and you know they they do make a lot of money and they signed and they have an obligation. Um, I don't know. I don't have to tell you on that one. We'll have to leave that open and see how the players react if it ever did happen. Sure, yeah, I knew it was an expansive question. I just want to throw it out there based on the yeah. time in which you played. Jeff, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate the insights. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You too, guys. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.